Psalm 14. This is a psalm of David. Spurgeon said there was no need to put a time period and when this psalm happened historically, because this would apply to every time period of, of all time since the fall of man. Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? There were they in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion, when the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people. Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. This psalm is for the people of God. Um, and it helps us as we read it and meditate on Psalm 14 to, to understand the world that we live in, to understand where the mindset that people are coming from, but also uh, to protect us, to protect us from falling in with the mindset of the world. And to understand that without God, there's just a futility of life without him. And there is just a despair and a, um, a brokenness to those who do not perceive and understand the reality of, of the existence of God. And as we read this, we can, we can see also what God has saved us from, and we can see the good and the beautiful truth of the gospel in this, that God has delivered us from this futility, this hopelessness, really a foolishness of, of mind, and, and given us hope in Jesus Christ. And I want to look at this from the three voices that you hear in this psalm. Because vo verse number one is the voice of the fool. Because it says, the fool has said... And then from verse number 2 all the way to verse number 6, it's what the Lord has said. So we move from what the fool is saying down here upon the earth. Verse 2 transports us up to heaven. And there we're, and we see what the, we hear from the voice of the Lord and what he sees. And then thirdly, we see what Israel has said. The people of God come in in the final verse of this psalm and we we see what the people of God say about this situation. So we have the perspective of the fool, we have the perspective of the Lord, and we have the perspective of the people of God um, longing for the salvation of the Lord. So that's the three things that we'll look at um, tonight. So verse number one, we have the, what the fool has said, the perspective of the fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, 
They have done abominable works, and there is none that doeth good. So we have what the fool says, then we sort of have a commentary on the fool. And that happens in the other two voices as well. We have what is said, then we have commentary about that. So the fool says there's no God. There is no God. And then the psalmist tells us what that means about them. They are. So it tells them what that means about uh, them as, as people and what their hearts. Then it tells us what the consequences of that is. So if you have someone who says this, this tells you what they are. And then that'll tell you what they do and why they do it. Because they have done, it says. So they are, and because of what they are, this is what they do. And then there is none that, that doeth good. And that just gives a statement upon society as a whole. That the corruption is based upon who we are as people. So that's kind of the, the, the framework of verse number one, what the fool said. A fool is a senseless person. And it's a senseless thing. It's an unthinking thing to say that there is no God. And that's not just name-calling and that's not being mean. But the psalmist is just saying that it's a foolish, senseless thing to say that. Based upon, not based upon our just... Um, an unthinking blind faith but based upon the evidence around us based upon what we see and what we know even based upon what the fool says here it's a foolish thing to say that there is no God and so I want to think about that why it would be senseless just from a few um, things from this verse first of all Consider that the fool says in his heart. So what's that saying? He's thinking, right? The fool is thinking about something. So here's a man who goes off and he starts thinking. And what's he thinking about? He's thinking philosophical thoughts about the nature of the universe. This man might be in an existential crisis here, but, but he's off. Maybe he goes out in the woods or sitting there and he's thinking, you know what? There isn't a God. Maybe he's going through a hard time. Maybe something bad has happened. But he's, just, he's thinking, there is no God. But I think it's interesting that he's thinking about him. Why is he thinking about God? Why is he thinking about the philosophical nature of the universe? Right? Why is he thinking about that? How is he thinking? I don't, think, I don't think Ethan's dog is at home laying in the shade wondering if there's a God or not. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think they go through existential crises thinking about the nature of the universe and, and whether there's a God and, and what that means for him. But, but this man is, right? The human being is thinking about these things. But how does he do it? By what mechanism? Is he thinking in itself? So, so think about that. If we're the result of naturalistic, um, random events brought to us down through, um, through natural selection, through evolution, why do we have thoughts about the meaning of life and the meaning of existence? 
So if you're going to think about it from their perspective, well, let's consider what's the evolutionary benefit of considering whether God exists or even to, as they would say, well, there's no such thing as God. So why does, why do all cultures and all people um, believe that there is a God? Why is it the small percentage of people in the history of all history who would say such a thing? What's the evolutionary purpose of having thoughts about um, philosophy and, and why things exist and why things matter? You know, if it's just uh, random randomness through natural selection, then why have these type of thoughts at all? It's not very efficient. It doesn't help us survive. It doesn't help us uh, have, have children and have the next generation. The fact that we think about these things at all, I think, points to the fact that God exists. That human beings have minds and have thoughts and have um, the ability to reason about the nature of things and the reason why things happen. You know, animals, you can, you can train them and if, you, if, they, if they do a good thing, then they'll get a treat and they'll keep doing that good thing. It's like the, the, the dog that... Uh, saved a kid out of the lake over there in Europe somewhere, I can't remember where it was and he goes into the lake and pulls the child out of the lake and they had a parade for the dog and they gave him a big steak because he did a good thing and then from there on the next couple weeks the dog would go down to the lake and knock children in the water because he thought if I pull children out of the water then I get a big steak right? there was no reasoning there, it was cause and effect, right? But why do we think about the nature of things? Why do we think about the meaning of life? Because God has created us for that. So the fool is using the means by which God gave us to worship him and to meditate on his truth. He's reasoning in his mind. And so, well, there is no God. But the fact that he reasons in his mind is a proof that God exists. Because God gave us these minds to think, and, and not the, the creatures, not the, not the insects, not the plants, but he, he made us in his image. And so there he sits with the mechanism that God gave him and said, well, no, God doesn't exist. Okay, then why are you thinking? How are you thinking? Why are you there? What's the point of what you're saying? Go even further. The fool has said. He's talking to himself. He's using language. Language is interesting in itself, but words and sounds that communicate meaning, that we can talk to each other. I'm speaking, and you can understand me through these sounds that I'm making, that we have a shared understanding of what these sounds mean. And I can say a random word, and those words have meanings, and they can have multiple meanings, and we can take those, and, and you can have words that have metaphors that I can say one thing, but it could also be pointing to other things as an example of, of something. And you can process those, and you can remember them, and you can bring them back to your mind later. You can meditate them on your own thoughts. So there may be something that someone said years and years ago that has blessed you, and it brings the, the thought of those words that were spoken, brings feelings and emotions uh, back to you that can even speak to you today. Here we have a psalm written thousands of years ago that we can read and understand even in a different language than it was first spoken, but we can take these words 
and understand and think and they communicate something to us. That in itself is, is proof that there is something higher and bigger and greater than just random acts of, of evolutionary um, natural selection. The very idea of a man meditating on the existence of God, I think, uh, lends itself to, to think about the fact that God exists at all. And so it's foolish for a man to use the mind and sort of a, a process of logic, however twist, twisted it would be, to say, well, there is no God, with the tools and the mechanisms that God gave to us to worship him. So this man, sitting in God's world, thinking thoughts that God gave him the ability to, has looked around and said, well, I don't see any proof. I don't see any proof that God even exists. As he meditates, as he speaks in his own heart, and thinks and, and works things out um, in his own mind, he says, well, God doesn't exist. That's why he said it's foolish. It's foolish for a person to, to think and to say that there is no God, um, in the world that God made. I think the very idea of the man meditating on the existence of God is proof that there is an existence of God. The fact that he, that he wonders if there's something bigger in the world than himself. There's something called um, the Fermi paradox. And it's the idea that there's no um, evidence of alien life. But there's a high, high likelihood that there's something more in this universe than, than us humans. Because the universe is so big and the earth is small in comparison. So they said the likelihood that there's more to life than just what's here upon this earth is high, but there's no evidence of it. And the only reason I say that is because uh, I saw where Elon Musk wrote, the scariest answer to that is there are no aliens. He said that we're all just the only tiny candle of consciousness in the abyss of darkness. Well, that's pretty depressing, isn't it? Well, here's someone that doesn't really have any beliefs, and he hopes that there's alien life out there. He hopes that there's some other kind of existence besides just us human beings, because he said otherwise, the only consciousness in the universe, the only people that can think and can feel and and uh, exist for more than just uh, pleasure and, and natural, um, natural things would just be us in a tiny little abyss of darkness. Well, see, instinctively, people, even naturalists, who don't have any faith and belief in God, look at this world and just say, this can't be all that there is. It has to be more than just us being animals. One famed evolutionist, um, atheist, said that God doesn't exist, but he guesses that uh, the world was created by aliens. That was his guess, that the aliens created the world, and that was the first cause of everything, with some extraterrestrial beings. But you can't just explain the ability to think and to feel our thoughts, our ideas, our hopes, all that we experience, it can be all that there is. And so the fool will say, well, there's no God, but 
There's probably aliens, right? Um, Jacob and I were uh, watching a video on the History Channel on YouTube, and, and the guy said, um, they were saying there's this ancient legend where um, a giant chicken came and picked these rocks up and carried them across the island and put those rocks down in the sea from the top of the mountain down to the bottom. And so there's this giant chicken that was carrying these all over. And the guy says, well, that's crazy. There's no such thing as giant chickens. He says, well, it had to be an alien. <laughs> uh, so it, it was crazy to think it was a giant chicken, but it wasn't crazy to think it was an alien spaceship because that's what he wanted to believe. You know, he, but the, people just instinctively know that, that, that there is more than, than what we can see. And so they want to believe in something, anything. But it's a fool who makes up stories and denies um, God, who has shown himself in this world. The very fact that there is hope at all is, um, I think, points to the fact that there, there is God. The fact that the fool is thinking about this and yet has hope outside of that is, uh, is a view that shows us that there is a God. It's very hopeless and sad. But that very hopelessness is why, from what I understand, he wants to, uh, Elon Musk wants to go to Mars. He wants, he wants there to be something else. He has hope. It's a foolish hope because if you have no God, then what kind of hope you have? But the, he does have hope. Um, one man wrote this. He said, hope is essential to human life. It's a Baptist pastor. He said, the, Hol the Holocaust survivor um, put it this way, he who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. And tragically, he said, the opposite is true. Hopelessness is unlivable. And he talks about the movie The Shawshank Redemption and one of the characters struggle to find hope. And then the other character tells him to get busy living or get busy dying. And he chooses to live. Because he says, hope is a good thing, maybe the best thing, and no good thing ever dies. He goes on to ask us this question. Can the naturalist agree? Can a naturalistic philosophy believe that there is such a thing as hope? Just wait long enough in this evolutionary worldview and there's not going to be anybody left to hope. Because the universe is just eventually going to wind down into a heat. And every achievement of every person will be swallowed up and forgotten. Why do we hate that so much? Why do we hate the idea and the thought that everything would wind down and everything would be gone and all the human achievement and all that anyone has ever thought, said, or did will just disappear and be gone forever? The intensity of the fear is curious. Why do people long for ultimate meaning, abiding happiness, and, con and connection to something transcendent? He said, he ended this piece with, it's a curious thing that a world ultimately devoid of hope should produce creatures who can't function without it. Isn't that interesting? That, that a world that is devoid of hope, really, of itself. What hope is there in this world 
that doesn't dwindle away. But we as creatures can't exist without the hope of something, the hope of tomorrow. You know, why else do we, do we strive to live? Why does the fool say, well, there is no God? Well, if there is no God, there's no meaning, there's no hope. But why does this man keep on living? Why is he thinking about it? Why does it matter? The fact that he's asking these questions, if he really believed that there was no God, then why does he care about anything? The very mechanism the fool uses to think about God and then he comes to the conclusion that God doesn't exist is a great pulse for God's existence in the first place. So that's what he says. There is no God. What happens when you start thinking like that? They are corrupt. So this tells us that those who say that there is no God do so because of a depravity of the heart. Not because of evidence. Not because of their high scientific minds. Not because that they, they are being rational about it. It is because of the corruption of their nature. Blinded to the reality that's right before them. Blinded to the fact that um, God has shown himself in, in so many different ways, just in the, the natural creation, that we can look around and see the, that there is, uh, that God exists. That God, the fact that God exists, you can think about that just from the fact that there's a creation. There always has to be something actual to produce something that's potential, right? So if you have a little baby in your hand, there's lots of potential for that baby. The baby can grow up and be good. It can grow up to be evil. It can grow up big and tall. It can be, grow up uh, tiny. And, you know, There's a lot of potential of things that could possibly happen. But before there's that potential, there has to be the parents. Something has to come before that. And so you could take a block of wood and hand it to a, a woodworker. Lots of potential that can come from a block of wood. Somebody that's good at carving, they can take their pocket knife out and they can make a little, God, there's potential there. But if the woodworker that has a knife but doesn't have any wood, there's no potential for him making anything. There has to be something there first before there is the potential for it to become something else, right? There has to be a first cause. Or you can take a block of wood and set it on the table, but if there's no woodworker, it's never going to change anything either. So the fact that there is something that can do something, the fact that there's a world that can spin, the fact that there's life that can have more life, all the potential that could happen in the world, that means that there has to be a, uh, something actual before that. right? There has to be something actual before there can be something that is potentially coming about. God is that first cause of all things. And the fact that we can't see that and perceive that comes not from a lack of, of thinking and not from a lack of evidence, but it comes from a corrupt heart. They are corrupt. That is why um, people deny this. The corruption of the human heart. Sin has corrupted everything and we are cursed 
and our minds are cursed and our hearts are cursed and our thoughts are cursed and it's corrupted it's like spoiled milk it's gone bad when we deny what's evident we suppress the truth and righteousness and that changes us and not for the better the suppression of truth doesn't provide us with any good anywhere in anything no matter what uh, no matter what avenue that we're looking at the, the taking what we know to be true and twisting it into a lie does not make does not make truth right so you know you got people who who look at human another human being and this human being says well I'm a man trapped in a woman's body is anything ever going to come good for going along with that lie and pretending that that doesn't that that's not a, a lie nothing good will ever come from that and when you deny and you continually deny what is evident and, and you say well there is no God despite what I see despite um, what is before me then that changes the human and it, not for the better and I think that's what Paul gets at in Romans chapter number one where we have the truth suppressed in righteousness um, that in verse 20 of Romans 1 the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even as eternal power and Godhead so they are without excuse so you have invisible things clearly seen and understood by human beings but in verse 21 it says because when they knew God they glorified him not as God neither were thankful but became vain in their imagination so they became their thoughts become empty and foolish and their foolish hearts were darkened professing themselves to be wise they became fools so from the corruption of man and their vain thinking and their wicked thinking the consequences of that is a, their foolish hearts are darkened and they continue on professing themselves to be wise in their thinking but they became fools so uh, this shows the state of the human heart the fool who says foolish things will lead to foolish actions there is none that doeth good no not one we can see it in ourselves we can see it around in, in the world the corruption of sin has its hold on all of humanity so God has created a world given man made man in his image given us minds to think hearts to wonder and, and to worship the ability to, to uh, see God the creator in the creation of the world but to take that and not glorify him but to use it to rebel against him and our whole world lies in wickedness so that's what's happening in the world verse 2 of Psalm 14 takes us to see what the Lord says about it so we are transported from the wickedness of the earth to, to heaven and this is an anthropomorphism this is uh, speaking in a metaphor right? so this is kind of what I was talking about 
that the Lord can speak in language that we can understand and we can use this to work things out, right? So this is just another way that God uses language in our minds and our abilities to think about these things to take a, a truth and, and drive it home for us. So the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Now we know that the Lord knows all things, and we know that the Lord is omnipresent, and we know that there's nothing that the Lord doesn't know. But the Lord would have us to think in this psalm, in this way, to make a point. So it says, the Lord looked down from heaven. So we imagine the Lord sitting upon his throne and looking down upon the earth. And the Lord is looking for one person to see if that one, anybody understands. Anybody, is there anybody seeking after God? All over the world, the Lord looks at every person in the world. Is there anybody that seeks after God? Are there any seekers? Are there any in the whole of humanity that are naturally good, naturally looking after God? Surely there's one. Surely we would think there's one person that is good. No, they've all gone aside, the Lord says. Every one of them. They've all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. Surely there's one. There's one that doeth good. And then it says, no, not one. Not even one. This is the state of sin. The corruption of sin in its heart isn't held to just one person. And so one small minority of people that say that there is no God... But the corruption is spread over all of humanity. There's no one that does good. Because even those who believe that there is a God oftentimes don't live like there's a God. You might poll people around here and ask them, do you believe in God? Maybe the vast majority believe in God. They don't act like it, do they? I don't know how many people in West Virginia say that they believe in God, but there's an awful lot of crime in West Virginia, awful lot of drug use in West Virginia, awful lot of wicked things go on in West Virginia. So sure, they might say, yeah, I believe in God. Well, do you believe in God? Look up around you. So you've got the fool who says there is no God, and you've got most everybody else living like there is no God. We've all gone astray. There's none that doeth good, not even one. The whole of humanity is spoiled and corrupt. We'll go back to verse number four. The Lord says, Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? So the fool says that in his heart there is no God. And then the Lord asks the question, what about everybody else? Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they are bread? And call not upon the Lord? There were they in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. 
Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. Now this is a, an odd thing to think about here. Are all the workers of iniquity without knowledge? So the fool says in his knowledge there is no God. What about everybody else? What about the people who believe in God? Are they also without knowledge? Why do they live like there is no God? It's, a, it's just as bad to say that you believe in God and live like the devil as it is to say that there is no God and live the same. There's no difference between the works of the person who believes in no God and the person who says that there's a God and acts like it. So here you have a group of people, the workers of iniquity. They have no knowledge. They eat up God's people. They persecute them. They eat them up like bread. They persecute God's people, but they don't call upon the Lord. But they're in great fear. Why are they in great fear? Because God is in the generation of the righteous. So you added people who were persecuting God's people because they're God's people. But these persecutors were sort of afraid. God knows their hearts. And they were in fear. Why were they in, in fear? Because God is with his people. Well, why do they persecute God's people? And why are they afraid? Well, because they shame the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. And you try to work that out and, and, and you, we can understand that the workers of iniquity have no knowledge. These people persecuted God's people because they are God's people. But they were afraid of persecuting them in their heart because they knew God was with them. But that made him hate him all the more because the Lord is the refuge of his people. The, the same God they don't believe in. <laughs> so you have a people who persecute God's people because they are God's people but don't believe in God and don't cry out upon God but believe that he exists and believe he is with his people. It's, it's foolishness, right? It doesn't make any sense. Why? Isn't it a wonder that people who don't believe God exists or act like he doesn't exist hate people who do? And then get superstitious about God and God's judgment upon them and then turn around and persecute the people of God because we say the Lord is our refuge. It doesn't make any sense at all. You know, if somebody wants to believe in aliens, you know, I, whatever, that, that, that's their thing, I guess. But I'm not going to go persecute people because of that. I kind of feel sorry for them. I don't get angry at them. I would hope that they would come to the, the knowledge of the truth. But why do people persecute the people of God? Why do people persecute Christians whose command is to love God and love one another? You know, what's the world say? The world will say, well, we need more people to be loving. Right? That's what the, the, the call is. Love is love. You know, we need to love people. Well, that's what we do as Christians. We love people. But don't love people like that. <laughs> you, you love people the way that we say. And you do what we say. Why do people who say they don't believe in God spend any energy at all to say that they don't believe in God? then actively hate and persecute people who do because we care about the souls of men 
and eternal things. The, the wicked and their treatment of God's people doesn't make any sense apart from how God's word describes their actions. Right? The world, this doesn't make any sense unless we understand what God says about them here and what the word, the word of God says about evil and why men long for something transcendent. The word tells, explains all these things to us. Romans 1 explains it to us. Romans 3 explains it to us. Jew and Gentile, we, have all, we are all depraved, corrupted by the fall of Adam, and it warps our minds. In Romans 3, Paul quotes several passages in the Old Testament, quotes this passage, but he goes through, and from head to toe, we're corrupt. From head to toe, there's nothing about us that sin has not touched. And that's why men do such irrational things, like say there is no God. And then say there is no God, and I hate him. There is no God, and I hate him, and I hate the people that worship him. There is no God, I hate him, I hate the people who worship him, but I'm afraid of him. Because he's with his people. And I do that because I'm a great intellectual. Right? That doesn't make any sense because we have the light of God's word that tells us it doesn't make any sense. And we can look at the world the way that it was created and, and see it for the truth that there is. And we say, well, that's just a foolish way to live. It's a foolish way to think. It's a foolish way to build your life on hopelessness and despair and denying the obvious. But what about us as God's people? God's people here are the ones that's being persecuted, the ones that are being laughed at, the ones that are being um, disparaged for our, our faith. We're the ones that have been shamed. We're the ones that are being eaten up as bread. And so they laugh and they say, yeah, where's your God? We're going to persecute you. We're going to destroy you. We're going to wipe you out. Well, that brings us to the last thing here, what the people of God have to say. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. Remember, God said there's none that doeth good, no, not one. And that includes us. And so we know that God exists. We know that he's, he is real. We know that he is powerful. We know that he is merciful. That doesn't change the situation that those who defy him usually have a lot of power. But what is that for us? But there's hope with us. There's hope for the people of God. The psalmist cries out and longs for salvation to come out of Zion. Oh, the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion, will come out of Jerusalem. Where's the salvation? Oh, that it would come. Oh, that it would come that the Lord would bring his people out of captivity. For God's people to be rejoice and be glad. 
Well, I've got good news to close out here that salvation has come out of Israel. The Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin of the tribe of Judah. God, the Word made flesh, the God-man, came and lived his perfect life and he set his captives free from the bondage of sin. He translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He, he delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. He broke the chains of our depraved heart. He delivered us from the cruel master Satan. He gave us life and light and, and gave us salvation. He gave us hope. He gives us victory. And the king came and was made a curse for us. The king came and bore our sins. And he died and he rose again the victor. And now our sins are paid for. Our, our debt is paid. Our, our hope is sure. He, he rose from the dead and gave gifts unto men. Captivity was led captive. We have been set free by the king of Israel. And tonight we can, we can rejoice and be glad because salvation has come. And now we live with the hope of eternal life. So I can live tonight and look around and say, man, this world is messed up. Things are so crazy in the world. That's because all men are corrupt. That is because men thought themselves wise and, and became fools. That's because people say that there is no God and they live inconsistently with, with reality. That's because they're blind in their sins and, and under the bondage of Satan and living in the kingdom of darkness. But my Lord, the King of Kings, has won the victory and I have hope of eternal life. And I know that there is life. I know that he rules and reigns. I know that he's coming back. And I know this wicked, cursed world will be melt, melted and we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. I'll have a glorified body. That Satan's going to be judged and he's going to be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. That I'll live with God in peace and glory. I know that's coming. I know it is because he said it's, he said it's true. I have his word and I have his promises. If all there is in this world, it's hopeless and, and, and just full of despair. But salvation has come out of Israel. And what man instinctively knows that there is a God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can know these things are true. And we have a story that we can tell people. We have this gospel that we can tell them, no, you're wrong that nothing matters. You're wrong that, that everybody lives for themselves. You're wrong that, that this is just one big um, evolutionary accident. Uh, the survival of, fit, of the fittest and death and death and struggle till we all die and it's all gone. No. Salvation has come out of Israel. The God of, of heaven has revealed himself in Jesus Christ and he's come to save his people from their sins. So yes, Psalm 14 is kind of dark. But that verse number 7 gives us hope. It gives us something to understand the world that we live in but not despair and be rejoicing that Jesus has come to set us free.